Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you that we can gather around your word this morning. We thank you that it's a lamp to our feet, it's a light to our path. And, God, we just want to hear your heart this morning. Just have your way. Have your way in us. Have your way through us. Challenge us, grow us, and use us to reach this community, we pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so this morning I want to talk to you about um, money, about kingdom finances. And uh, money is what we use today as the commodity trading between our time, our talents, and our resources. And if you're visiting with us this morning, or um, if you're not yet a Christian, don't think that we always speak on money, because this is the first time for over 12 years that I've actually spoken on kingdom finances, and uh, I regret that, but, and I regret it because it's so important, because the way we handle our finances uh, is going to be the way, or an indication or a reflection of how we handle life. And this applies to individuals, it applies to businesses, and it applies even more to churches uh, because we've got to reflect um, what God says in his word. Not theories, but what God says in his word about this particular area. And we need to be beyond reproach because how many people know that churches are in the spotlight, they're in a window, and the enemy just loves pulling down uh, what God is doing in the church. Um, Jesus talked a lot about finances. Uh, 20% of all Jesus had to say was about money. 16 of the 38 parables, parables are concerned with how to handle money and possessions. And the gospel's an amazing one in 10 verses deal directly with money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. And Jesus, talking to his disciples, said this. He said, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. This is Jesus talking. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And the true riches that Jesus is talking about there are the things of the Spirit. That's the context of the, of the verses. So basically he's saying, hey, if you guys aren't trustworthy in handling money, which is little effect really, um, how can I even trust you with the things of the Spirit? Verse 12, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And I think this morning when we have a look, and I've got a lot of verses for us to have a look at here uh, this morning. And uh, also I've got out on the info desk, I've got a set of notes. Um, there's, a I think, 25 copies of that. So the first 25 can get it if they run out. Um, you can just put your name down and I'll make sure that I uh, copy those off for next week. But those notes are probably four or five times what I'm going to cover this morning, okay? Because you can't cover much in 30 minutes. But there's a much, much fuller rendition of um, this whole area in those notes. 
If you don't put God first with your finances, you won't put God first in other areas of your life. If you waste the resources that God puts in your hand to build up his kingdom, then God isn't going to trust you with his true riches. So if you're visiting with us this morning, or if you start going to another church, and, and basically in five years' time, a lot of you guys um, would have gone to a different city or whatever, always check out the place that you're going to go to, check out how they handle their finances because it will reflect their trustworthiness in other areas. Do they lavishly squander God's resources? Do they spend it all on themselves? Do they invest it in overseas missions and evangelism and reaching the community? Do they have audited accounts that stand up to the IRD auditing? How you handle your money reflects your integrity and trustworthiness and whether you will really put God first in your life. There are a number of underlying principles. Instead of laying out a whole pile of laws and rules and regulations, uh, God, for most of the time, will set up principles by which we can act from. And when we look at all these verses that we're going to look at this morning, <clears throat> there's a heart attitude towards this that we need to pick up. Uh, so the first of the underlying principles that I want to have a quick look at this morning is the fact that God wants to bless us and prosper us. He's for us. God is a good God, and he wants to bless you. Turn to the person next to you and say, God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations on the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city, you'll be blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. Just read that verse for yourself sometime. Deuteronomy 28 um, verses 1 through to 14. And it is blessing after blessing after blessing. Uh, but it starts off with, if you will fully obey the Lord your God. So God's very nature is to supply his kids with their needs. One of the names of God which describes his character is Jehovah Jireh. And it literally means the one, the God who is the provider. The one who sees before a need and in seeing the need will provide. So he knows your needs before you even ask him about those. To Abraham, God said, I will bless you and make you a blessing. And those of you who are studies the word of God will know that the Abrahamic covenant is the foundation of much that the Christian church has grown into and out of uh, today. 
But blessing always is contingent on putting God first and living by his guiding principles. So the, <clears throat> the next principle that I want to look at is the principle of rightful ownership. And basically what this says is God owns everything. <clears throat> In the 80s, I was on the board of Hamilton AOG. Uh, I was the missions director of the church, and we were a church of um, 1,500, um, probably an average of 1,300 on a Sunday morning, so it's a big church with a large budget, and uh, I had the responsibility of overseas missions and also other areas in the board. I had always tithed. I'd always given the first tenth of my income to the Lord, but I was pretty stingy when it came to offerings. And every time we had a missions offering, which was once a month, man, it was like trying to squeeze water out of a stone. And I might have been the overseer of the missions program, but in my heart, I, I resented giving offerings. I'm just telling you as it was. Then the senior minister asked me to prepare a series of lectures on kingdom finance. I had a highly paid job and he thought that I'd know something about kingdom finances. So I began to study the word. That's always dangerous, people. If you study the word of God, the word of God will study you. And the word of God always finds those areas that you're deficit in. And as I studied, as I studied the word of God, God just downloaded to me. And I, I had a spiritual encounter as powerful as any that I've had since that time through studying the word of God. And the thing that God imprinted on my heart more than anything else, the thing that absolutely changed my life, was the revelation that God owns everything. We had a guy up here a few years back by the name of J. John, and Penny and I had the uh, privilege of uh, hosting him while he, was, while he was up here. He's a real character, and I love what he has to say on this subject, so we're going to watch it again. There was a man at an airport, and he wanted to buy a bag of very small donuts and a coffee. So he buys his bag of small donuts, and he buys his coffee, and he's looking for somewhere to sit. But all the tables are all taken. But there's one table where there's one man sitting, and he thinks, oh, I'll just go and sit opposite him. So he goes there, he puts his coffee down, he puts his bags down, he gets his coat off, puts it on the chair, sits down, Opens his coffee, has a sip. Picks up the bag of donuts, opens it, takes out a donut, starts eating it, puts the bag down. The man opposite stretches over, picks up the bag of donuts, opens it, takes out a donut, starts eating it, puts the bag down, smiles. The other man cannot believe what he has just seen. He cannot believe that the man has just stolen one of his donuts. He's thinking, what, I mean, what is the world coming to? What is the world? 
But then he thinks, well, maybe, you know, the guy's not quite there or, you know, he better not say anything in case the guy kind of erupts and he's violent. But he gives him one of these if looks could kill look. <laughs> he picks up the bag of donuts, he takes out another donut and he moves it near to his coffee. As far away from the other man. While he's sipping his coffee, the man stretches over, <laughs> picks up the bag, takes out another donut, starts eating it, puts it on the table, pushes it back, smiles. The other guy can't believe it. he's done it twice. <laughs> he's stolen two of my donuts. He's amazed. He can't believe it. He's real angry, but he decides not to say anything. Anyway, the man gets up to leave. So the other man thinks it's about time you left, you donut thief. <laughs> he put his coat on, he picked up his bag, he then picked up the bag of donuts. There's one donut inside. He takes it out, he breaks it in half, he puts half in his mouth, puts half on the bag, he moves the bag, he smiles, he waves, off he goes. The other guy thinks, I'm not touching that donut, you donut thief. You're probably full of infection. <laughs> anyway, he looks at his watch. Oh, it's time for me to go. He gets up, he puts his coat on. He then bends down to pick up his bag and sitting on top of his bag was his bag of donuts. <laughs> was complaining he was complaining that the other man was stealing his donuts when in fact the other man was sharing his donuts now listen to me listen to me god owns all the donuts And we're complaining. We're complaining, and God owns all of them. He owns all the donuts. Listen, every week we get a bag of donuts. God gives us a bag of donuts every week. Inside there are 10. God says, take one of the 10 and give it to the church that you go to. Okay, that's called tithing. Okay? So you give a donut to the church that you go to. Right? They're God's donuts, so don't complain. They're all God's donuts. He just says, give one, give one to the church that you're part of. So important, isn't it? Yeah, that, now you're left with nine, and you need 11. <laughs> hey, I need 11, I've just given one away. I've only got nine. And what is incredible is, if you need 11 or you need 12, somehow, somehow, the nine becomes 12. Somehow the nine becomes what you need. The there was a man at an airport and he wanted to buy a bag of... Yeah. God owns everything. God owns everything. So, uh, Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Uh, 1 Chronicles 29 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power 
and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Everything. God owns everything. Whether we acknowledge it or not, everything is his. Uh, The Bible says that literally everything belongs to God. Now, possession doesn't mean ownership. How many people have ever bought a car on Trade Me? Yeah. If you buy a car on Trade Me, pay your money, you pick up the car, and three weeks later, you get a knock on the door from a policeman, and the policeman says, "Um, sorry, Mr. James, but the car that you've bought was actually stolen, and I'm here to take it back to its rightful owner. You may have paid for it. You may possess it, but you don't own it. Everything in this world is God's, whether we acknowledge it or not. Haggai 2.8, the silver and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Psalm 50.10, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Deuteronomy 8.18, thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that gives you the power to get wealth. Actually, just on that one there, I was um, talking to a missionary, uh, a missionary businessman on Friday, and uh, he has a degree in horticulture. He... He said to me, he says, Don, he says, I wasn't smart enough to put together the project that I put together. Basically, he's, in, he's um, working in China. Uh, he's put a huge project together there, uh, producing apples uh, that will employ 400 people in the local area. And it was just absolutely miraculous the way the project came together the way that um, he got a business together because it costs you $100,000 normally to register a business in China. All these things, God just did miracles all the way and gave him the smarts to be able to work in this area. And he said, you know, God has given me the power to make wealth for his kingdom. We might possess stuff, but God owns. We earn, but God enables. And we need to settle the ownership question early on. Otherwise, it will be a stumbling block to spiritual growth. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30, parable of talents, tells us that everyone has been given time, talents, and resources. You've been given those by God. And we will all have to give an account of how we have used the resources Uh, that God has entrusted to us. So Penny and I have always tried to agree on all major financial expenditure because we know that everything is God's. Everything is God's. And so we want to use wisely the gifts, the things that God has given us. And so we try and pray on things separately and come together so that we can hear separately what we believe God is, is saying to us. And some of the time, it's a real struggle. I mean, some of, 
Some, some of our wives just can't hear when God is telling us to buy a new set of golf clubs and stuff like that. I mean, there seems to be a blockage there. And, uh, and I remember going back when I first came to Whangarei, I wanted to start playing golf. So I went out, bought myself a um, set of golf clubs, cost me $450 for the clubs, the balls, the cart, everything. It was a cheap set. It was a real, real, real cheap set. But then, um, as I got into it, and a couple of years later, I thought, uh, oh, I'm, I'm quite enjoying this. I, I want to improve my game. And so the next step um, for me to improve my game was to buy a better driver, which is the biggest club you have in your bag and usually the most expensive. Now, back in those days, it was about $1,200 for a new top-of-the-line driver. And I thought, mm, Penny's in touch with God. Um, there's no way I'm going to get a $1,200 driver. So I had a look around, uh, found a one that was about 450 which was 10 times better than what I had. And I went to Penn, and I said, hey, um, Penny, will, will you just pray about this? I, I really want to buy uh, this $450 golf club. Well, she prays about it, and she says, no. I could not believe it. We had the money in the bank. It was no problem. So anyway, I thought, oh, well, perseverance has its rewards. And um, every week for about the next three months, I went to Penny and said, have you prayed again? Please pray again. Pray again. And, um, you know, I really feel that God wants me to have a golf club, this golf club. So anyway, she would say no. I was getting so frustrated uh, over this. Uh, and then one day, it would have been about three months after the uh, initial um, idea, I was playing golf with my Korean friends. And I'd pr- play with them every few weeks. And they knew that I wanted a, a new golf club. Okay, And so they said to me, they said, Oh, ha- Pastor Don, have, have you bought your new golf club yet? And I said... No, I haven't really decided on what I want to get. I was too embarrassed to tell them my wife won't let me have it. <laughs> anyway, they, they said, oh, good. They said, we have a man coming back from Korea, and we want to give you professional, top-of-the-line driver, $1,200 worth. And they did. And I went home and I fell on my knees before my wife. (laughs) And I said, I am so thankful that you didn't give in to my pleading, but you took the time to pray and hear from God. Because God didn't want me to have an ordinary everyday budget club. He had something far better in store for me at that time. One of the guys here busted it. (laughs) But that's all right, (laughs) because God has totally blessed. But what I'm trying to say here here is take the time to to pray about the financial things. And if God is number one in your life, then everything else will flow from there. In uh, Matthew, it says, seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness and all the other things will be added unto you. There are lots of other things. Some of them aren't necessities. But God wants to bless his kids. So, God owns everything. We're going to give an account. The next principle is the principle of godly focus. And what that means is that we try and put God first in everything we do. Uh, in 1989, one of the pastors that I was serving with in Hamilton went up to Turkau to a, um, the funeral of a man who had committed suicide. Very, very tragic. Uh, the guy had lost about $4.5 million in the share market crash. And when his money was gone, he felt he had nothing to live for. And he um, committed su- suicide. The real unfortunate thing was not only had he taken a permanent solution to a temporary problem, but back in those days when a million dollars really was big, he had over a million and a half dollars worth of assets left. But he was so focused on his money that when he lost a lot of it, he he couldn't live. When his money was gone, he had nothing to live for. Luke 12, 15 says... Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The wealthiest man that ever lived said, don't seek wealth for wealth's sake. Proverbs 23, verse 4 and 5. Businessmen generate wealth, but generate it for the kingdom. Uh, riches don't bring satisfaction. Wealth doesn't bring happiness. God says, seek me first and everything else will be added. Don't make money your goal in life. Otherwise, it'll become your God. You can't serve God and you can't serve money. Um, sorry, you cannot serve God and money at the same time. One of them has to control your life. And uh, there, is a, there is a spiritual force involved in this whole area. It's called uh, Spirit of Mammon. And I haven't got time to go into all of that. But you can, be, you can be poor and yet be incredibly rich. You can be incredibly rich but be in poverty. And we've seen um, people over the years who have been in that situation absolutely fearful, fearful, fearful of trying to live without money. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 11 says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many, f- and to many foolish and harmful desires that purge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Don't wait to the end of your life to focus on, on God. Do it now. Do it now. And if you put him for, first, all the other things will be added. And um, I use the example of possession of a car. Uh, about, I think it was five, six years ago, it must have been five years ago, I wanted to change my car. I had a Camry. Uh, I knew I could sell it to my brother for $2,000, and uh, so I wanted to change this uh, this car. So I started looking on Trade Me, 
And I started looking at three-year-old Camrys because I thought that was a good value for money. I wanted a bigger car because I did a lot of trips down to Auckland. Anyway, as I was browsing through my search engine, I came across this Camry hybrid. And the, the hybrid, uh, brand new, was $63,000, which was way, 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 way. I wasn't even looking for a new car. But something about this um, sort of caught my attention. It might have been the number plate. Uh, my surname, James, and the number plate was J-A-M. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So <clears throat> I started to pray into this. And, uh, and I really felt that God wanted me to have this car. And so uh, Penny and I talked. We prayed. We, we settled. And as I prayed, I felt the Lord say to me, net $35,000. And I thought, what? They'll never take that. I rang up the, the salespeople, and um, it was Toyota North Shore. And this particular vehicle was, um, was eight months old. It had been a demonstration vehicle on their lot. It had 80 kilometers on the clock. 80, so it was just brand new. It was the top of the line, everything. It was a top car that they had. As I said, $63,000 new. I talked to the salesman and I said, um, uh, you won't want to have that car on your lot next year, will you? And he said, no, 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 we need, we need to sell it now. And I said, well, offer the boss $37,000. So that was $35,000 plus the $2,000 I was going to get from my vehicle. So... He said, he laughed at me. He says, oh, he says, uh, it's not going to happen. But, but I'll talk to the boss anyway. Came back four hours later and said, the boss has accepted your offer. And then he said, if I had known that he would let it go for that, he says, I would have bought it myself. <laughs> so we got basically $26,000 off the new car price, for a car that had 80 kilometres on the clock. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of the other things will be added. I wasn't looking for that. I wasn't even believing for that. But God knew that I was changing my car and he blessed when you put God first in your life, you'll be amazed at the things that God will do in your life to bless you. Principle number four, sowing and reaping. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The principle of sowing and reaping applies to every area of life. In every area, you cannot sow without reaping. It's an unbreakable foundational law of God. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
The Apostle Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Every man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, let me just add this to this particular principle. You cannot, you cannot sow without reaping. But my motivation in giving in the kingdom is not to receive. I don't give to get. I give because I want to bless God. I give because I want to live according to his word. But there is a natural consequence uh, to that. Um, I've told you uh, some time back that um, in 1990, uh, I was a assistant pastor at Hamilton AOG. Uh, when I was part of the dairy company, I bought a really, really nice boat. Bought it brand new. Um, and one morning when I was praying... I heard God, what I thought was God, and I didn't say, oh, that must be the devil. <laughs> I thought it was God. I knew it was God. It was God's voice saying, Don, sell the boat. And so I knew that although that boat was my number one toy, it was the thing I really, really, really enjoyed, I had no hesitation and going out from my prayer time and, and talking to Penny and say, hey, look, I believe God wants us to sell the boat. So we did. About two weeks after we sold it, a missionary from um, Chile came through, and uh, he was looking for someone to do a swap with him so he could um, have three and a half months furlough. And, I, and as soon as he spoke, it was like the Lord said, hey, this is you. Uh, this is what you've sold the boat for. This is where I want you to put that money into. And so Penny and I did a house swap with this missionary, took um, Peter and Stephen to Chile for three and a half months, and it was the changing of my life. It was the best money that I've ever, ever invested. Uh, I learned to hear God's voice clearly. I learned to speak, uh, to preach, because I hadn't done any preaching prior to that. I, um, God just did a whole pile of things in my heart. And so I sowed in the financial area and reaped in the spiritual area in that situation. And it was just absolutely, absolutely amazing what God did. Anyway, some of you know that a couple of months back, I won a boat. Exactly the same size as the one that I'd given up. I didn't even realize I was in a competition for it. God gave it back. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't sow that boat to receive. But you can't outgive God. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. You can't outgive God. And Penny and I, we laugh when we think about this. Because, I mean, God could have given us money from different other, uh, different other ways to, um, to, to bless us. But he didn't. He gave us a brand new boat just to underline, hey, guys, <laughs> you sowed, 
you're going to reap. And God is always, always uh, blessing. The, the last principle I really want to talk about this morning is the principle of tithes and offerings. And God says, we put him first in our finances when we give him the first tenth of our income. The, the book of Deuteronomy tells us that the tithes was established so that we might learn to fear the Lord always and put him first in everything we do. So um, Deuteronomy 14.22, Deuteronomy 14.23 um, be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields produce each year so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Sometimes people don't give God their first um, tenth uh, through lack of ignorance of God's word, some through selfishness, and other ones, others just don't trust God uh, to meet their needs and to bless them. Have a listen. No, we'll go to Malachi. Malachi 3.7, it says this. Ever since the time of this is God speaking. Ever, time, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. This is God speaking to Israel. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Then God says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And the answer is in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Tithing is the first step in getting God into your finances. And today, God blesses people when we put him first. And these verses tell the people to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse, that's the place, that's the church, that's where you're spiritually fed. And this has always been uh, my practice right from when I first became a Christian. And from the first time that tithing was instigated, the tithes went to the temple and the temple only. If you want to give to missions, <coughs> which Penny and I do, uh, on a regular basis, that's fantastic. And I encourage you and I implore you to do that. If you want to give to our building refresh, that's fantastic. And, uh, and we're so blessed by people who have given to that. You want to give to Unlimited Love Days, that's absolutely fantastic. But it's not your tithe. Your tithe comes straight into the storehouse to start off with. Offerings go wherever you like. You can, you can give to whatever you want. And I give my time and my talent over and above that's what's asked me in my job. If you were to have a look at um, my weekly timetable, if you were to have a look at um, Russell's, you'll find we do huge amounts of hours over and above what we are paid for. We give it and we we give it not reluctantly, but generously, but that's not our tithe. Our tithe is the first tenth of my salary, and that comes into the church in obedience to God's word. Uh, I don't see it. I have never missed it, and God has always blessed me. I stand before you people, and I can honestly say that 100% God has blessed me over the years from the time I was a student and I first asked him into my life to the time when I was 
earning big bucks in industry to the time I was earning no bucks when I first became a pastor to now. The ebbs and the flows, God has always, always looked after me. And I can say that without any hesitancy. And for myself, I have proved that if you put God first, all the other things will be added. But he's waiting for your heart. He's waiting for your heart in this. Proverbs 3 tells us, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with the new wine. If you want to do a, um, a greater study on tithing, which I have done, um, there's some extra bits and pieces in my notes on that. The um, children of Israel actually had three tithes. And um, it mentions that in those notes. What did Jesus say? about tithing. He had a lot to say about giving, but specifically tithing, Matthew 23, 23. And I'm just going to read it to you in the, um, the New Living Bible. It says this. <clears throat> How terrible it will be for you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, if you are careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income. In other words, they are really, really legalistic about this tithing bit. But you ignore the important things of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. There was another guy that uh, Jesus spoke to uh, who was a tither. Uh, he was a, what we call the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus, wanted to know uh, how he could be blessed. This guy tithes right from the very, very beginning, but his heart wasn't right towards God, especially in the area of finance. So I say that to say you can, you can be legalistic, legalistic in this whole thing. You can be legalistic with your tithing and just come under condemnation. You can be legalistic and just come under bondage with it God's after your heart and in this whole area it comes back to that second point that I made first point was God wants to bless us but the second point God owns everything and when we come to God we come surrendering everything we come surrendering everything and I know that some of you are probably squirming this morning as I talk to this, that squirming isn't created by me, that squirming is created by yourself reacting to what the Bible says in this whole area. And so I want to encourage anyone who's rising up, your hackles are rising up on the backs of your, backs of your head this morning, um, if you're really having a re reaction to this, I challenge you to get alone and pray and say, God, is what Pastor Don said this morning about giving, is that true? And then I challenge you to spend the next two weeks searching the Word of God to see what the Word of God says about kingdom finance. I know a few of your backgrounds here, and I'm not going to embarrass you by 
getting you to stand up. But I can see some people who are reasonably well off here who will testify that everything that I have said this morning is true. And I challenge you to find out for yourself because you've got to receive it for yourself. You've got to know that you know that you know that your life is 100% surrendered to God. And when you come to that place, there is so much liberty. I would think I'm a more generous giver than my wife is now. She's great, by the way. She, she, is, she is really, really great. She is the anchor that God has given me to stop me from running aground in the rocks. She, she, is, she is so good. But because God did something in my life, it changed me completely. And that can, that can happen to you. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 13.3, If I give all I possess to the poor... And surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So I want you to put this in perspective. There are far bigger things. But if God gets hold of your wallet, he'll get hold of you. What's God's motivation for giving? He's the, great, he's the greatest giver of the lot. Let's have the musicians come. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave. You, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. If you want to near, draw near to God, invest in God's kingdom, because Jesus says, Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, is also. Why do I have such a passion for missions? Because over the last 30, 40 years, I've invested into the mission field. Because I believe that God says that we're to go out into the whole world and preach the gospel. I believe that God can use us to touch a nation. I believe that God can use me and what he places in my hands to reach our city. And here's the key. In the kingdom of God, it's about flow. It's not just about flow to us. It's about flow through us. And I don't understand how it works, but I know that it does work. Those verses, give and it'll be given unto you. Press down, shaking together. I, ha I have this picture of this conduit and I see myself as being the valve between a huge reservoir and a needy community. As I open that valve, God pours to me and through me. When I turn the valve off so nothing comes out, it's interesting. Nothing comes in. It's in 
I learned this very early when Penny and I were saving up for a house. And, you know, you just get so focused on saving and trying to get, put the money away and everything else. And uh, I remember one couple of months period where we were both working and, you know, we weren't making any headway in our savings. And so we prayed. And I just said, God, what is going on here? We, we don't seem to be doing any good with our, with our savings. And I felt that my heart attitude towards the whole thing was wrong. And so I said, God, I give it all back to you. I, I want to hear your voice. I want to live your way. I, I want to follow your commands. Please just help us in this. You know, as soon as I surrendered afresh to God, it was like God opened the floodgates and we saved a whole, whole wage from then on out. And God just used that just to show me. There are times, and it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for one year, five years, 50 years, there are times where you have to surrender everything to Him afresh and say, God, I just give it all to you. So how? How can you learn to be a great giver? How can you learn to let the the Holy Spirit not only just come to you, but through you? How can you learn to be a channel of God's blessing in the whole financial areas? Well, you start by surrendering everything to God. And then secondly, you try as best as you're able to live according to His Word. And you look for opportunities to bless.